Twas a month of December, and in homes all around, not a thing wasn't stirring. Busy chaos abounds. Demeanors of brashness flowed free without care, in hopes that the other would treat them more fair. Whether in line or a meeting or digital post, angry comments and likes from those followed the most. When what to my world-wearied heart should appear but the kindness of Christmas, bringing love far and near. On Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday the same, be it listening or time spent, fan empathy's flame. To the day you grow old, from the day you can crawl, give away, give away kindness to all. The author is writing, his kindness so cheery, its power to wake and bring light to the weary. But lo, we must listen, and with him so exclaim, Merry kindness to all. Now to all show the same. So let me ask you a question. Have you had a chance to open yours yet? I remember when my brother and I were little boys growing up at home. December was one of the most exciting times of the year for us, and we would just check every day to see if another present had been added under the tree. And then as we got closer to Christmas Day, when we were allowed to open our gifts, we'd be sizing up all the different boxes and packages trying to figure out which one had the toy in it, the one that we wanted more than anything else that we told our mom, if you get us that toy, we promise you we'll never ask for a gift again. Of course, she knew and we knew we didn't mean it, but it sounded good. And uh, we were hoping it was that one we, we pointed out in the window at the store we walked by or that we saw in the commercial on the television or that we picked out of the Sears robot catalog. And if you're wondering what on earth is a Sears robot catalog, ask somebody that looks about as old as I am and they'll explain it to you. But we could hardly wait. How about you? What are you looking forward to unwrapping this Christmas season? Would you like to know what I've got for you in this box? What gift I would like to give to you? Well, I'll tell you what I've got for you that you can unwrap and enjoy, not just all season long, but the rest of your life. But first, I want to share with you a little bit of bad news. And I know as soon as I say that, you're thinking to yourself, I did not come to Christmas Eve to get some bad news. Well, I don't want to make your Christmas Eve a miserable experience, but what I want you to know Wherever you are right now, whether you're at one of our campuses, one of our venues, or joining me across the country, around the world, in your home, your apartment, I want you to know right now that you cannot really value and appreciate the good news I have for you unless you assess really what's going on around you. So I I was uh, listening, or actually reading, uh, a blog by one of my favorite uh, professors, theologians, writers, James Dennison, and he was kind of doing this whole bad news, good news thing, and it really had an effect on me. So I thought, you know what, I, I want to I incorporate some of that as I share with you this Christmas Eve, this great gift that I believe God wants me to remind you about and hand off to you and allow you to receive it with arms and hands of faith. But here's the bad news. Have you heard of the pandemic? I know you are as sick of the pandemic as I am. 
mean, now we've got Omicron, right? And, and it's really spreading fast. And is it as bad as the Delta? I'm hearing it's not so bad as the Delta. But then there are questions about what's the next variant going to be and masks and, you know, the vaccine shots and the boosters and all of that. And then there's the political pandemic. I mean, all of the squabbling and the arguing and the posturing, the power grabbing. I'm so tired of it. How about you? And then there's the, what I call crime-demic. And that is, you know, these uh, smash and grabs that are taking place and, and uh, the carjackings and the violence that's out there right now. I mean, it's very disturbing and very discouraging to think about all that. Then you uh, add to that kind of what I call the social pandemic. I mean, you've got racism, anti-Semitism, anti-Christianism. You've got all the issues with uh, moral relevancy and what is true and what is moral and what is not, you know, what is immoral and what is false. And, you know, everybody's trying to sort all of that stuff out in the culture. There's the economic pandemic and, you know, the rise in inflation. Is it going to stop at any point? And, and then, you know, how about supply chain? Did any of you have troubles getting the gifts that you wanted to give to other people? Has shipping been kind of slow for you as well? And all of this stuff just leads to a lot of chaos. It leads to kind of a personal pandemic of stress and anxiety and worry and fear that so many people are experiencing this Christmas season. And that has an effect then on our relationships, on our marriages, on our families, in our work environment, even in the church environment. You, know, you just sense all over society, people are, are a little bit on edge with each other. And who can blame them? Now you're probably thinking to yourself, I don't know if I really want to come to Christmas Eve and be reminded of all of that. I'm telling you some good news is coming, okay? There's a reason I'm telling you this. And one of the reasons is because it was into a very difficult environment that the first Christmas took place, that God sent his son. Now, you might be feeling like things are so bad right now, but I want you to know that that compared to what it was like when Jesus came to earth, it's not nearly so bad. Maybe you are unaware of this, but when Christ was born, children, uh, only 50% of those born made it to age 10. Can you imagine those families and the tremendous loss that so many families experience when 50% of the kids aren't even going to make it to age 10? Scientists who have researched tombs where they have found bones, like in Israel, have discovered that you know, people died of terrible diseases like leprosy or tuberculosis or malaria. And the common population, they suffer from all kinds of maladies, parasites, tapeworms. I know that sounds gross. Um, They suffer from gum disease, tooth decay, and on the list went. People were chronically ill uh, in those days as well. And then then you talk about a economic hardship. You had the rich who were getting richer and they were an elite few, but almost the rest of the population, almost everybody else was poor and struggling with poverty, eking their way, trying to make ends meet as a result of what they were experiencing in their lives. And then you had even the burden of debt. And a lot of people who went into debt just to live and just to exist and they could not pay their debts back would be thrown into a debtor's prison or they'd be sold off into slavery. Morally speaking, it was it was a wretched world, especially among the Gentiles. I mean, immorality was, was just common in those days and, 
and women and children were abused and sold and mistreated. You know, a Roman father, if he had a child that he didn't want, like a little girl, could just throw them off and out on the streets and, and not have a second thought about it. So it's kind of a tragic world that people were living in when Jesus came to this earth. And nobody knew where to look for help. I mean, do you worship the emperor? Do you worship the, the Greek gods? Which one do you worship of the Greek gods? There was all kinds of philosophy, everything from hedonism, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die, to stoicism. How do we control the appetites of the flesh? I mean, what do you believe in all of that? My point is that as bad as we might think our world is, the world that Jesus came into was really bad. And that reminds me of a passage of scripture where Paul writes these words. He says in Galatians chapter four, verse four, but when the right time came, but when the right time came, God sent forth his son. And he says that his son was born and he was born under the law. And what's fascinating to me in that passage of scripture is that it says it was the right time for God to send his son to be born of a woman, to be born under the law. That's what it says in Galatians 4.4. Check it out. Now, I don't know about you, but as a parent, if I was going to send my child, my son, or my daughter into an environment, I wouldn't consider what I just described for you to be the right environment that I'd want to send my child into. I think I'd try to wait in hopes that things might get a little bit better before I send my child into that. But God said it was the right time. What does that mean? Well, I was kind of musing on that, thinking about it, and I, I just realized that, you know, oftentimes what feels to us like the worst time, actually to God, it's the best time. And so oftentimes what feels like the worst case scenario, God, God will use that for a powerful and redemptive purpose. I mean, think about who who God sent his son to. Think about where God sent his son to. He sent him to Bethlehem, like one of the poorest suburbs you can imagine, about six miles outside of Jerusalem. And he sends him to this very, very poor couple, this man named Joseph and this very young girl named Mary. He sends them into, he sends his son into poverty. And and Jesus is going to grow up and, and around him are going to be outcasts people who are suffering, people who have such great and, and burdensome needs. Jesus, send, uh, Jesus comes to outsiders who just long to be insiders. And there is a reason for that because God is trying to send a message to the world. That it doesn't matter who you are, where you are, or what the circumstances are. God loves you. God wants you. He will enter into the harshest, most difficult circumstances to prove that to you and me. And I find that such good news on this Christmas Eve with the way the world is right now, with all the stuff that is happening around us that we wish we could escape. And maybe we do for a few hours, you know, during the Christmas season while we're with friends and family, or perhaps you're alone this Christmas. My heart goes out to you. And, and, and so you feel that pressure even more on your soul. I want you to know you're not alone. Jesus came to a very hurting world on the first Christmas, and he's present with you and me on this Christmas. And he's got something for you and for me. And what he has for you and for me, I want you to imagine it as a gift. 
They want you to unwrap with your faith, with your soul, with your mind, with your heart, is this wonderful gift that we've been talking about all month long in our series. And that's the gift of kindness. You say, what do you mean by the gift of kindness? What is this birth of kindness? Well, if you go back to what Paul describes in Galatians chapter four, that at the right time he was born of a woman under the law, he continues on. Let me read to you what he says. He says in verse five, God sent him, Jesus, to buy freedom for you and me. Think about those people who owed debt. Think about the debt that you might owe. It's like Jesus comes and says, I'm gonna pay all your debts for you. Except the debt he pays is the debt we owe that we can never pay, the debt we owe for our sins. Christ came and he died our our death, my death and your death. He took God's judgment on himself so we would be relieved of that eternal death, so we'd be relieved of that judgment. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law. What that means is the law just reminds us of how sinful we are because nobody can perfectly keep the law. We've been freed from that so that he could adopt us as his very own children. That is so awesome. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba, Father. And Abba in the Hebrew means daddy. What an intimate relationship. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child, God's own son, God's own daughter. And since you are his child, God has made you, listen to this, has made you his heir. Now, what does that mean? This idea of being adopted into the family and being made a co-heir like a brother with Jesus. Well, an author by the name of Amy Peterson has written a book called Where Goodness Still Grows. I love that title. And in it, she talks about the English language in um, the period of time, about 300 years between 1150 AD and about 1450 AD. It was called Middle English, how the language was being used. And she said, during that time, kindness had a very different meaning from what it has today. It meant to be tender. It meant to be uh, uh, merciful. It it meant to be compassionate. It meant to be good toward others. But it was made out of a word, kinness. So instead of saying kindness, it was more like kindness. And the idea of kin is relationship. So in Middle English, when they talked about kindness, what we think of as kindness, it was really a description of a relationship that you have with somebody. They're like your kin. They're like your relationship. Also, at that period of time, you had lords, right? And the lords were part of the aristocracy. They were were the elite few who were rich and everybody else in the feudal system was struggling. They were poor. So when you would say, Lord Jesus in Middle English, or our kind Lord Jesus, what you were saying is, first of all, I am kin to Jesus. And not only that, but he is Lord. He's aristocracy, so to speak. He's the king of kings. And not only am I related to him, but I've been elevated with him. And now I have his status before God. I am considered royalty before God. That's the good news in this bad news world. 
that's what we celebrate at Christmas time. That God loved you and me so much that he came into this world to make us like himself, to invite us into relationship with him. We've been adopted. Do you know how powerful that is? Ken Davis, who is a Christian communicator, tells a story about friends of his who adopted a little girl in an Eastern European country many years ago. And the story that he shares is that as they went through the adoption process, which was slow, long, and painful, they finally came to the last event, the final hearing. And they're in this very cold, literally cold, but also cold in atmosphere courtroom. And there's this judge there. And there's a translator that's translating what the judge is saying for these parents. And the judge uh, asks if there is anybody there, finally, that wants to contest this adoption, any citizen, any relative, you know, any friend that, that would be willing to stand up and, and take this eight or nine-year-old girl and, and make that little girl their, their girl and keep that girl in the country. And nobody spoke. Can you imagine how nervous those adoptive parents must have felt? Finally, the judge made his pronouncement And here's what he said, translated. Being that there is nobody in this country who wants you, he points to the little girl. Being there's nobody in this country who wants you, little girl, I now rule that you have been adopted by these outsiders. And the dad was so torn by what the judge said that as soon as he had the opportunity, he grabbed that little girl and whispered in her ears, you will never hear those words again. We want you. That's what God says to you and me. The world may not want you or the world may want you to use you, but I want you to know as your creator, as the God of this universe, I want you. I want you so badly that I became like you and I've given my life for you. Welcome to my family. Do you see yourself as a son or daughter of God? Do you talk to him as a son or a daughter of God? Do you help your children understand that they too have been adopted into his kingdom if they've received Christ and can know him as a son or a daughter. The world may not want you. Others may not want you. You may feel rejected this Christmas Eve, but I'm telling you something. God wants you. I was reflecting on this in my quiet time recently, and I had to literally stop myself and remind myself that I so oftentimes approach God with almost an attitude of God really doesn't want me because I know who I am and I know how ugly I am inside. So God must not really want me. I need to kind of earn his love for me. And, and I just suddenly realized, stop talking to God that way. Talk to him the way you would want your son or daughter to talk to you. He's your Abba. Do you know him as your Abba? This Christmas Eve, I pray that you know the joy of his kindness that has been extended to you. And if you're at one of our campuses or venues and you'd like to talk more about what it means to 
be born of God, to enter into the womb of his compassion and mercy and forgiveness and have this relationship with him, please talk to one of our campus pastors or to the service host. We have these great face starter kits we'd love to give you. If you're joining me online, you're not at one of our campuses, would you just, would you just email us? Would you just email us here at Wooddale Church? Would you tell us that you want to know more, that you would like one of those face starter kits, and we'll get one to you wherever you are. And we'll do whatever we can to help you in your journey with God. I want you to know that God loves you, cares deeply for you, and I wish all of you a Merry Christmas. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this Christmas Eve. May we receive with open hands of faith this gift of your kindness expressed in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.